Hello, everybody, and welcome. It's lovely to be here. I'm Pam Pastor, host of The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. I've got a special treat today. I've got a couple of my favorite people in-house joining me, none other than my husband, Matt, who's been on a previous episode about the Holy Spirit, and he contributed a lot. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say. And my daughter is joining us as well. Say hello, Kate. Hello. So happy to be here. Thank you. We're happy to have you too. And you know what? More importantly, I am thrilled that our listeners are here because they found Jesus. And if this is your first time tuning in, know that God honors and blesses those who diligently seek his word and place it into action. Or perhaps you're a longtime listener. If so, welcome back. You know, friends, there is power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we'll be unleashing discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of moldable clay for the potter Jesus to transform. The book of Jeremiah teaches us that as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. You know, friends, we never really do get off of Jesus's potter's wheel. He's constantly renewing us and transforming our minds. So be prepared to power up your life as you join me and others each week as we explore and adventure all things pertaining to Jesus. And periodically, friends, we'll delve into my mailbag answering questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Now, as we prepare to center ourselves and enter into God's presence today, allow me to speak a benediction over your life. And this comes in the form of a blessing normally given at the end of a traditional worship service. But I'd like to speak the blessing over our lives right up front. It comes out of the book of Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Well, again, friends, welcome back. We're officially entering into the season where our focus shifts to celebrating Jesus's miracle of immaculate conception and birth. While this fact should be highlighted for us all throughout the year, it's certainly heightened in the days leading up to the 25th of December. And today on our episode, we begin by going on a journey with Sarah Young as we read her December 1st devotional. And Kate's got that for us now. Merciful Lord Jesus, I come to you asking you to prepare my heart for the celebration of your birth. Christmas is the time to exalt your, your miraculous incarnation when you, the Word, became flesh and made your dwelling among us. You identified with mankind to the ultimate extent, becoming a man and taking up residence in our world. I don't want to let the familiarity of this astonishing miracle diminish its effect on me. You are the gift above all gifts, and I rejoice you. A delightful way of opening up my heart to you is to spend time pondering the wonders of your entrance into human history. I want to view these events from the perspective of shepherds living out in the fields near Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flocks at night. They witnessed the first one angel 
and then a great company of heavenly hosts lighting up the sky, proclaiming glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Help me to gaze at the glory of your birth, just as the shepherds did, and respond with childlike wonder. In your marvelous and wondrous name, amen. Thank you, Kate, so much. And you know what I love about that prayer from Sarah Young is that she references four key scriptures in support of our reading. First, we look at Mark chapter 1, verse 3, where Mark tells us about John the Baptist being the forerunner of Jesus. Specifically, he says he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming, make a straight road for him. Our gospel writer, Mark, is immediately referencing one of the greatest Old Testament writers, the prophet Isaiah, who said in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, Come now, let us argue this out, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you white as wool. If you will only obey me and let me help you, then you will have plenty to eat. But if you keep turning away and refusing to listen, you will be destroyed by your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. And Isaiah also tells us that God forgives the repentant. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, we're told, The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in that high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I refer Fresh the humble and give new courage to those with repentant hearts. The high and holy God had to come down to our level to save us because it's impossible for us to go up to his level to save ourselves. And the second half of the book of Isaiah talks about the coming of the Lord, our Messiah, Jesus, and the man who would announce his coming, John the Baptist. John's call to make a straight road for him meant that people should give up their selfish way of living, renounce their sins, seek God's forgiveness, and establish a relationship with the Almighty God by believing and obeying his word found in Scripture. We can fully rely upon the word of God Isaiah had predicted hundreds of years earlier that John the Baptist and Jesus would come. But how did an Old Testament prophet have this specific knowledge and why would he issue this type of prediction? Here's the how and why. God promised Isaiah that a redeemer would come to Israel and that a messenger calling in the wilderness would prepare the way for him. Isaiah's very words comforted many people as they looked forward to the Messiah. And knowing that God keeps his promises should comfort us too. The Gospel of Mark is more than a story. It holds the inerrant Word of God within its very pages. In it, God is revealing to us His plans for history. 
Our next scripture reference is out of John chapter 1, verse 14. So the Word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father. By the Word becoming human, Jesus becomes our perfect teacher. In Jesus' life, we see how God thinks and therefore how we should think. He is our perfect example and model showing us how to live and then giving us the power to do so. He was and remains the perfect sacrifice. Jesus came as the sacrifice for all sins and his death alone satisfied God's requirements for the removal of sin. So we must always keep in the forefront of our minds that Jesus is the only Son of the Father, meaning He alone is unique, one of a kind, and enjoys a relationship with God. He's unlike all believers who are called children of God. With the birth of Jesus, God became a man. He was not part man and part God. He was completely human and completely divine. Before Jesus came, people could only know God partially. After Jesus came, people could know God fully because he became the visible manifestation of our invisible God. You see, Jesus is the perfect expression of God in human form. The two most common errors people make about Jesus are to minimize his humanity or to minimize his divinity. Jesus is both God and man. Our third scripture verse comes from Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. We learn from the Apostle Paul, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. We can learn so much from Paul. He penned this verse of scripture as he was in jail. His outer circumstances did not affect or steal his inward joy. Our inner attitudes have a knowing that under all the pressures of life, Jesus is always with us in the form and person of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's encouragement to the Philippians to be joyful still rings true today for us equally. We too can be joyful in all circumstances. And it's true, areas within the world are getting more grim, they're getting darker. But we as believers have a choice in what we will focus upon. We can choose to be the light. Will we choose to give our joy away by placing it upon a silver platter and handing it over to the enemy? Or will we proactively protect our joy and peace with the concrete knowing that God our Father holds us in the palm of his hand at all times? This is how we remain committed to ultimate joy. We understand that Christ is indwelling in us. He will fulfill his final purpose for us. It was God's invitation to the shepherds that heralded in Jesus's birth announcement. God continued to reveal his son, but it was not to the people we would ordinarily have expected, like kings or heads of state, government officials, you know, the upper crust of society. Luke records for us that Jesus' birth was announced to shepherds in the fields. Now, these just may have been the same shepherds who were responsible for supplying the lambs for the temple, sacrifices that were performed for the forgiveness of sin. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 records, That night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks as sheep. 
this is when the angel invited these shepherds to meet and greet the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world forever. Now, can you imagine this birth announcement? It must have been spectacular. The shepherds must have been terrified, rightly so, but their fear and trembling turned to joy as the Messiah's birth was announced. First things first, these shepherds ran to see the baby Jesus for themselves and then began spreading the news of his birth to everyone who would listen. Let me ask you a question now. Like our shepherds in this story, how do you and me show up each day in preparation for meeting our Savior? Perhaps we look forward to meeting him by beginning our mornings in a time of worship, by reading his word, reflecting upon, or we enter into prayer. The natural outgrowth of our time together is our telling friends and family how amazing and wonderful he is. And in Luke chapter 2 verses 13 and 14, it states from Luke, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all who God favors. The story of Jesus' birth resounds with music that has inspired composers for well over 2,000 years. The angel's song is often referred to as the Gloria. It's the basis for many modern choral works, traditional Christmas carols, and ancient liturgical chants. And some of the Jews at this time were awaiting a savior to deliver them from Roman rule. Others hoped the Messiah or Christ would be their deliverer from physical ailments. But Jesus, while healing their diseases, also established a spiritual kingdom and would deliver the people, including you and me, from sin. Jesus paved the way for peace to God. He alone offered us more than temporary, political, or physical changes that we need in our world. He offers us new hearts that will last throughout eternity. Now we're jumping back into our miracle gospel account called A Boy with the Evil Spirit is Healed. And I'm going to ask my Matthew to read this account for us now. If you'd like to follow along, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17 verse 14 through 21. And Matt, it's interesting to notate that our story once again is found in three out of the four gospels. And Matt, our gospel account also, you'll be taking us through today, comes on the heels of Jesus's beautiful transfiguration experience. The disciples would have just come down from a mountaintop experience with Jesus, passing from a reassuring experience of God's presence to a frightening one of evil. The beauty they would have just been witnessed to probably made the ugliness of this evil spirit even uglier. As our spiritual vision continues to improve, we're allowed to see and understand God better, and we also see and understand evil more. Too. We would be overcome or undone by evil's horror if we did not have Jesus with us to take us safely through it. So Matthew 17 verse 14 says, uh, Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. When they arrived at the foot of the mountain, a huge crowd was waiting for them. 
A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him here to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus replied, you stubborn, faithless people. How long must I be with you until you believe? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and had left him. From that moment, the boy was well. After the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You didn't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I assure you, even if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could have said to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate you reading that for us. You know, this particular account describes the boy as having seizures, suffering terribly, and often falling into the fire or the water. And other accounts detail the destructive nature of demons, too. When Jesus calmed the storm upon the Sea of Galilee, it's thought that the winds and waves were demons, which accounted for the disciples' astonishment at how even the demons obeyed Jesus when he said, be still. And we looked at two men who were possessed and living in a cemetery because they were so dangerous. And immediately upon seeing Jesus, they screamed at him asking, why are you bothering us, son of God? You have no right to torture torture us before God's appointed time. And did you connect the dots that the synagogue elected official Jairus's 12-year-old daughter who died was the result of demonic activity as well? You see, Jesus showed us his power over death when he raised her back to life. And he showed us his power over death when he was resurrected on day three and he defeated Satan. And how about the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years? One touch of his garment instantly healed her from the evil that had attached itself to her. The paralytical man's four friends taught us that their faith would synergistically reach to heaven healing this man. And then yesterday, with leprosy, we learned that it gravely affected both people physically and spiritually as they were ostracized to leper colonies to either experience a miracle healing or a fatal death. And once again, this was God's call. I could go on and on with more examples, but specifically every recorded miracle Jesus performed was due to an offsetting of evil upon the lives of his children. You see, illness is never from God. If you recall our in-depth study of Job, we saw that God allows some things into our lives that helps us to look toward heaven, but they never originate from God. And they do help us, though, look toward Jesus. Now, James, Jesus' half-brother, tells us, Whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And 
And in Luke chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, Luke ushers us into our believer's authority. Here Jesus says, and I have given you authority over all the power in the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice just because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. And you know, friends, scholars believe that it was Satan's pride that led to all the evil we see upon the earth today. So Jesus gave thanks to God that spiritual truth was for everyone and not just for the elite in the world. And doesn't it appear that many of life's rewards seem to go to the intelligent, the rich, the good-looking, or even the powerful? But the kingdom of God is available to all, regardless of our position or our abilities. We come to Jesus not through our own strength or brains, but rather through our childlike trust in Him. We need to be thanking God daily for our access to Him, There are worldly people whom we'll never be able to access simply because of the social hierarchy that's in place. And yet we all have the ability to have access 24-7 with the creator of the universe. Let that sink in. If you're wondering how today's story ties into what we've been discussing, we can look at the disciples who had been given this same power as we have to trample upon evil as we enjoy today. But the disciples had not yet learned how to appropriate the power of God. We see Jesus's frustration was with the unbelieving and unresponsive generation. His disciples were a reflection of this unbelief and attitudes of the unbelievers. So their innate God-given authority was hindered. Recall that the faith of others coupled with ours has the power and strength to heal. We've seen this principle applied many times in scripture. Jesus's purpose in his reply to the disciples was not to be condemning or hypercritical. Instead, it was to be encouraging for what abilities they had been given. He wanted to help usher in a greater faith. And did you pick up on the fact that it was in private when the disciples would ask Jesus why they couldn't cast out the demon on their own? Jesus said their faith was too small. It's our faith plus the power of God that moves mountains. And why do you suppose Jesus used the analogy of faith as small or as undeveloped as a mustard seed would have been sufficient to illustrate his point? He knew that the mustard seed was the smallest particle imaginable. And the disciples had relied upon their own faith, not adding in God's power. So their net yielded no fruit. And we must always combine our efforts with the power of Jesus for true and lasting success. There is great power and even a little faith when we trust in God's power to act. This is how we will produce results in our lives. And Jesus wants us to be successful. When others bear witness to our lives, we want them to want to share in the blessings that we've been given. Jesus, in love and with compassion, pointed out to the disciples that their faith was operating at a substandard level. He did this to show them what would be needed and required for the future. So what advice to you 
do you think Jesus would offer our listeners today if anyone was facing a giant or a mountain in their lives? Personally, I see Jesus saying, turn from that giant or that mountain and look towards me. Then what seems immovable will be overcome. Looking at Jesus ratchets up our faith level. If we analyze the nuts and bolts of this story, our key takeaway is that the battle with Satan is difficult and it's ongoing struggle. Victory over sin and temptation comes through our faith in Jesus, not through our self-effort. Jesus even tells us in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, anything is possible if a person believes. Nothing is too hard for God. While we won't get all things that we pray for, when we're in the will of God asking by faith, he will give us everything we need to serve him. And did you know that faith is a gift from God? We're not born with an abundance of faith. Faith is not something that we can obtain without help. No matter how much faith we have, we never reach the point of being self-sufficient. Think of faith this way. It's not like storing up money in your bank account and accruing interest. Growing in faith is a constant process of daily renewing our trust in the person of Jesus. So let's get practical then. How do we and our listeners do this? Well, we've all faced difficult situations in life. Our only avenue for resolution is prayer. As a matter of fact, I was in a bit of a pickle spiritually speaking and God flat out placed the impression upon my heart to pray. It's not him who needs our prayers. It's us who needs the communion with him. And it's unequivocally prayer that unlocks faith in our lives. You see, effective prayer is both an attitude and an action. What I mean by this is that it's complete dependence on God coupled with what we're asking for. Prayer is a demonstration of our reliance upon God. God bless me. Thank you. As we humbly invite him into our lives to fill us with faith and power. So let me say that again. Prayer is a demonstration of our reliance upon God as we humbly invite him into our lives to fill us with faith and power. There is never a substitute for prayer, especially in challenging or difficult situations. Jesus knows that as we become trained as his disciples, it doesn't all happen overnight. It requires time and attention to detail. He wants to equip us to be his ambassadors. Spiritual growth isn't instantaneous regardless of our teachers or the quality of experience. We find that even the disciples at times needed to lay aside their work and tune back in with Jesus for learning. This principle applies to a well-known pastor that I listened to who recently took a sabbatical for the first time. And Matt and Kate, it has been a pleasure to have you both as guests on the show today. You're always welcome back and I look forward to the next time that you join in as we talk about all things pertaining to Jesus. 
And friends, if you've not been spiritually reborn, God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess belief in his son, Jesus. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. And our sin was then placed onto Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us at our conversion. While we can never repay this extravagant and extraordinary gift of kindness back to Jesus, what we can do is we can show him our gratitude by growing in our relationship with him. We can make efforts to obey him, deepening our connection daily. Today, friends, if this is you, respectfully, I challenge you to take a bold step of courage and openly confess after me, Father God, I'm repenting of sin, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking. Jesus, I'm inviting you into my heart to take up permanent resonance. I confess your shed blood washed away my past, present, and future sins upon that cross at Calvary. Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And consider growing in a good Bible-based church, surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers who will help to build up and edify your newfound faith in Jesus. Now, let me be the first person to congratulate you on making the most important decision of your lifetime. Congratulations and God bless you. Friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special children's podcast airs on Wednesdays. So tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you may have grown up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, spiritual warfare, how to be joyful, what love and action looks like, the message and ministry of Jesus Christ, the harmonization of the four gospels, Jesus's teaching parables and his miracles. And then also, finally, we look at what biblical trust looks like. So I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark together on an adventure of exploration of all things Jesus together. So please consider joining me. And if you like this episode, make sure to subscribe so you'll get the latest releases as they become available. And much of today's podcast reference my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or compelling, or perhaps you want to do a rigorous deep dive, you can pick up a copy from my website at pampastorcopywriting.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Norrance.com. Importantly, though, friends, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. As I said, it's full of God's word and it's waiting for you to read it. So until next time, remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. And the Apostle John gives us this last blessing in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 21. And side note for you, if 
you read the book of Revelation, it promises that you will be blessed for reading it. So just a little bit of tidbit information. I suggest, highly suggest you read it. But John says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Until next time, friends, God bless you.